James chapter 1. James chapter 1, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 22, and again read down through the end of the chapter. It says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto man, beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled for God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Title of the message tonight, Be Not Deceived, But Transformed. Be Not Deceived, But Transformed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege you have to open your precious word. And I pray, dear Lord, that as we look into the word of God tonight, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, challenge us, and encourage us. And might we allow you to examine us. And uh, just, just that we might be more conform to the image of your dear Son. And I pray that your will be done. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the pastor in Maryland, we were for a few years, often said, and I can't remember who he said said it, that James is Christianity in overalls. Now, some of you young people may not hear that term. I don't hear it very often anymore, overalls. It's in work pants. That's what it means. And here, and of course, in Lord Jesus in Matthew 7 says, you know, straight is the gate and narrow is the way, and few there be that find it. Many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and cast out devils, done many wonderful works? And he will say, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. See, many people have a religious experience, and they think salvation, that, that think a salvation experience, that they have, that they, and they think it's a salvation experience and are deceived by it. You know, an experience can be very subjective. It can be a very highly emotional experience that is stirred up by a very energetic, highly motivational speaker that even gives some truth and yet can leave you lacking in genuine knowledge of what true salvation is. Salvation is based on knowledge of who the Lord is. You know, I attended a camp meeting one time where a service got very emotional. I mean, the preacher just hollered, you know, and walked the aisle. And, I mean, he's sweating, you know, and he, 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 he kind of, I don't know, I called it foamed at the mouth. And he kept taking his tie and wiping his mouth with it, you know. I think he was from South Carolina. <laughs> one of them hollering, you know, preachers. Anyway. And uh, anyway, you know, amidst all this, a lady, a pastor's wife, just stands up and starts singing a song. And I mean, the preachers were hollering and, you know, and saying things. And, and, uh, but you know, about a few years later, that church closed. And that pastor 
who was the husband of the wife that sang, left the church he was at. It was a different church that he was at. And he went back, he actually came back to North Carolina. This was when we were in Maine. And I thought to myself, hmm, what was all that about? What value was in it? See, not all fire is genuine. There's a lot of false fire. I've been to some churches, I think, where if they didn't have camp meetings or meetings like this year after year, that all the excitement in the church would be lost and it would be dead. But that's really not Christianity, what Christianity is. Now, genuine, real, genuine, real genuine Christianity is just day after day after day just living and living for God. It doesn't need props to prop it up. So don't be deceived by props. And when I say props, I'm talking about a lot of emotional excitement. Because that's not what genuine Christianity is. It's just living day by day by day. And I can tell you, if you would have asked, when you get to, the, get, to get to heaven, you ask Brother James here what Christianity was like in the first century, he would tell you there wasn't a lot of excitement or a lot of persecution. And it was just day-to-day survival living for the Lord. And so as we think about this tonight, at three points, first of all, the information gatherer, Secondly, the transformation seeker. And thirdly, a conversation changed. The information gatherer. In verses 20 through 22 to 24, it says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. So here is a man, and when it talks about one who, he, a hearer here, it's talking about merely a hearer. That's as far as it goes. He hears it, but it doesn't go any further than that. And I think it was D.L. Moody who said one time that the Bible is not given for information. It's given for transformation. And this man who's a hearer, he, he beholdeth what manner of man. The word beholdeth here means he considers it, he puts his eyes upon it and thinks about it. But then he doesn't think about it. He goeth his way and forgetteth. And straightway. No, he doesn't just forget. He straightway forgets. That word straightway means immediately. In other words, as soon as he turns away from the mirror, he forgets what he saw in the mirror. And he forgets what manner of man he was. The word goeth away or goeth his way means to go from the place or to depart. You know, so often we have people or sometimes we come to the meeting house and we hear the word of God and we go away the same as we came. Now, I'm not saying that every message, God's going to speak to your heart about something, but I think he's going to if you're really open to it. You know, I get things out of Sunday school that he didn't intend to teach in Sunday school. You know, I'm often writing notes. 
things he doesn't say, but he reads the passage of Scripture, and he's making, he's making you know, uh, comments about certain things, and that leads me to think about something else. You know who's doing that? It's not that I'm just so smart, because I'm not that smart. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. So, you know, so we can hear the word of God and we cannot give heed to it and, and we will be without victory in our lives if we resist the change the Lord wants to bring in our lives for his good. Again, straightway means for, uh, immediately or quickly. And he forgets or he fails to remember or he's unable to recall. And this is, Israel is the greatest example of this. Go to Psalm 106. Psalm 106. You know, Israel... And the Bible uses in this passage, in this chapter of Psalms, 106th chapter of Psalms, he uses the word forgot, forgot, or remembered not quite a few times. Verse, starting at verse 7 says, our, our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked them at the Red Sea, even at the Red Sea. Now how could they not have understood all those miracles in Egypt? Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power to be known. He rebuked them at the Red Sea also, and it was dried up, so he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. He saved them from the hand of them that hated them, and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their enemies, and there was not one of them left. Then they believed his words, and they sang his praise. They soon, what, forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. He gave them leanness, or he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. The envied Moses also in the camp and Aaron and saint of the Lord. The earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abiram. The fire was kindled in their company and the flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf and Horeb worshipped the molten image. Thus they changed their glory into the similitude of an ox that eateth grass. They forgot God, their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and terrible things by the Red Sea. Therefore he said that he would destroy them, had not Moses his chosen stood before him in the, beat, the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. Yea, they despised the pleasant land. They believed not his word, but murmured in their tents and hearkened not unto the voice of the Lord. Therefore he lifted up his hand against them to overthrow them in the, in the wilderness. And so we see off, you know, so many times here it says they, they forgot, they forgot. They, in other words, they were, it seemed to be like they were unable to recall how God had delivered them. He, they were unable to recall, they come into the land and they despised it. In other words, they didn't believe God would take them in there. Really what they did is despise the promise of God. After all they had seen in the wilderness, the parting of the Red Sea, you know, the water coming out of a rock, a tree being cast into waters to make it sweet, manna falling down from heaven every day to supply their need, quails as much as they could eat. And yet when God said, go in and possess the land, for I have given it unto you, they despised it. They turned away. Said, we can't. We can't overcome those people that are in the land. In Psalm 95, Psalm 95, and verse 10, 
Psalm 95 and verse 10. He says this, when your father, verse 10, 40 years long was I grieved with this generation and said, it is a people that do err in their heart and they have not known my ways. 40 years and they didn't know him. Seriously? You know, I can, you know, my first thought was 40 years and they do them. And then I get to thinking sometimes, how slow am I sometimes to take him at his word? But you know, if you're just a hear, the Bible says here you're a deceived person. Hebrews 4, speaking about the children of Israel in the wilderness, in Hebrews 4 and verse 2, or verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being less of us entering into his rest, and if you should come, seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. See, it's not enough just to hear. It has to be mixed with faith. Faith. And faith is the substance of things not seen, but hoped for. In other words, we expect, hope is, we, is an expectation. We expect God's going to keep his word. So we, have, so we have, that's our substance, our hope. Substance of things hoped for. There were many hearers in Israel in the day when Jesus walked upon the face of the earth. You know, as I considered that, I was thinking about, you know, in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 4, verses 22 to 25, Jesus preaches and heals many of sicknesses and infirmities of all kinds. Throughout all, and, and it says, and this fame went throughout all Syria. In chapter 5 through 7, he preaches and tells them the gospel of the kingdom, what the kingdom of God is like. In chapter 8, he cleanses a leper, that which is unheard of. There's no recovery from leprosy, but Jesus cleansed the leper. In verses 5 through 13, he heals the centurion just with his word. Centurion's servant, just with his word. He didn't even go to where he was. He, in chapter 8, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. He casts out demons. In verses 28 through 34, he, he casts out the demons. And then in chapter 9, he says to a man, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. In verses 22 to 26, he raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. Verses 27 to 30, he heals two blind men. In verse 33, he casts out a devil. And the Pharisees say he casts out a devil by the prince of devils. Chapter 11, verse 8. He makes an interesting statement. 
He said, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. In verse 13, he heals a man proving what he just said. He heals a man on the Sabbath day. Proving what he just said. I am the Lord of the Sabbath day. You know, their telephone should have been ringing. It should have been ringing. But instead, verse 14 says, they held a council together against him how they might destroy him. Yeah, they were interested in listening to what Jesus had to say. They got information. But that's all it amounted to. Just information. You see, there was no transformation. And so that brings us to point number two, transformation seeker. In verse 25 of James 1, it says... But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in this deed. Now, let me just say something. So you understand I'm not being too critical of you if you forget something I say every once in a while. Because there are times I go home and Monday morning I think, what did I preach on yesterday? That's not, that's not a very good testimony of a preacher, is it? So, but, you know, we ought to listen to the word of God with the mindset that we want to conform or change our lives according to it. That's what transformation does. And it says here of the, of the transformation seeker, he looketh into the perfect law of liberty. Now, the word look is different than the word beholdeth in verse 22. This word means to look carefully into, to inspect curiously, of one who would become acquainted with it. So this isn't the, oh, yeah, I see it. No, I see it. And, I, and I'm going to inspect this. I'm going to examine this. I want to become acquainted with this. This is the idea here. It's not just, yeah, I saw that. So what? No, it's a purposeful, careful inspection of. You know, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 talks about our salvation, which things the angels desire to look into. In other words, it says they desire to look into. So there was a desire there for the angels. Do you realize the angels are interested in what we have? Redemption through Jesus Christ and brought into a relationship with God. We have something greater than the angels have. And the Bible says the angels desire to look into it. And that's the way we should be when we, with, with the Word of God. We should desire to look into it. Hey, I'm interested in this, and I'm going to spend some time investigating, searching it out. Hebrews 11.6 says that uh, without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Again, the idea of, 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 of inquiry or, or to inquire after, to investigate. I believe a good example of this in the New Testament is Zacchaeus. 
You know, Jesus was passing by where Zacchaeus was collecting taxes, and Zacchaeus wanted to see him. But you know what? He was a little guy. And the crowd was large. And he couldn't get to him. And he couldn't see him over the crowd. So he runs over. He runs ahead of the crowd. He sees which way Jesus is going. So he runs ahead of the crowd, and he climbs up in a tree so that he would be sure and be seen when Jesus came by. You know, though he was a tax collector, he was seeking, he was inquiring into who Jesus was. And see, if we're a transformation, if we're seeking God to change our lives, this is what we'll do. We will seek him. This is described for us in Proverbs chapter 2 and verses 1 through 5. Proverbs chapter 2 and verses 1 through 5. And the interesting thing is, it follows the statement in, or the the passage in in chapter 1 that talks about the fools and the scorners who mock and and make light of and and scorn the, the, the call of God or the seeking of God in their life. But in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, it says, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding, yea, if thou criest after knowledge and lift up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasure, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. You see, we need, to, we need to search for him like one who's looking for gold or seeking to find a treasure. Just like the, the woman who lost her coin and she, she, she searched and swept the house to find it. She looked everywhere. That could be that she could. I mean, she didn't go into one room and say, well, if it ain't in here, I guess it ain't in the rest of the house. No, she searched every room in that house and every corner in that house and every crack in that house till she find that coin. That's the way we need to seek after God. If we want God to transform our lives, to change our lives, that's how we have to seek Him. You know, it it speaks of an ear that's bending to hear. Did Did you ever hear somebody talking in another room and you couldn't quite make out what they're saying, so you go over and put your ear against the wall? I can't remember that I ever did that, but it sounds exciting. You know, but, but you go over and put your ear against the wall so you can hopefully hear or eavesdrop in somebody's conversation, you know. Um, but that is the idea. You bend your ear to hear. And he says, he goes on and says in this verse, Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein. That's really what it means to continue therein. The the, the phrase there, continueth, means and continues to do so, not departing till all stains are washed away. Now, in Colossians chapter 1, when Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, he, he said this in Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. <clears throat> 
22 and 23. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. See, God, God's desire is to present you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. Not just to save you, but to make you whole. To change your life. And then he says this, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. And so, the one that's seeking transformation will continue to seek that transformation, even after salvation. Salvation is just the beginning. He is a doer of the work, it says. The word doer means he's a performer or one who obeys or fulfills the law. And he's a doer of the work. The work is a deed or a thing done. And it is to continue in the work of God. See, God's desire is not just to save you, but work in your life. He wants to continue to work in your life. You know what a lot of people do? In fact, I had a man told me this the other day. And I, after I left, I thought, Jason, that was dumb. Because you should have gave him an answer to what he just said. He knows he should be here. He professes to be saved. I'm not sure about that. But he said, well, I need to get my health fixed up. You know what? He needs to do what's right and let God take care of his health. And as long as he uses an excuse... I don't ever expect to see him. Because that's what people do. Oh, I got I to gotta get my life fixed, and then I can go to church. Or I can get my life, what they're really saying is, I need to get my life fixed, and then I can get right with God. No, you get right with God, and he'll fix your life. He'll fix your life. That's how it works. See, God wants to work in your life. You are his work. Ephesians 2.10 says we are his workmanship. We are his garden and he is the workman. And he wants to make you a beautiful garden. But you have to continue in the work. Being a doer and not just a hearer. And the Bible says that this man is blessed in his deeds. In other words, he's blessed in his doing. He's blessed in his obedience uh, to, to the word of God. You know, and again, it's, it's not just saying I believe and having received Christ saved, but showing it with a life that demonstrates. It's going about everyday life with a purpose and compassion. You know, it's like Job who said, Job 1.10, the Bible says of him, well, Satan said to the Lord, Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands. And his substance is increased in the land. And God did not deny it. Because God did bless the work of his hands. Because Job was, in God's eyes, a perfect man, upright man, one that feared God and eschewed evil. That means he stayed away from evil. The Bible says this of Abraham, Genesis twenty-two eighteen: In thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed thy voice. 
You know, we know that Abraham was not a perfect man, but Abraham was one that continued to seek after God. And God blessed his work. Joseph, Genesis 39, 3. His master saw the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. And that the Lord made all that he did to prosper his hand. His master saw. Does, do people see that the Lord is with us? Do people see that the, that the Lord is making us to prosper? It was God working in Joseph's life. And it was evident to that Egyptian master. You see, this is the person who looks into the law of liberty and continues therein. He, he's seeking God to change his life day by day by day, step by step. You see, we need to be a transformation seeker, not just a hearer. And that will bring about the third thing, a conversation changed. Verses 26 and 27. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their inflictions and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now the word conversation, of course, is not used in this passage, but it is used in the Bible in several places. And, and it's an old English word that means manner of life. Manner of life. And this speaks of a, a manner of life, a changed manner of life. You know, James, in fact, it's used in James chapter 3, verse 13, where it says, Who is a wise man endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. Again, the conversation, that word conversation means manner of life. It's used also in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 15, where it says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Uh, but as he which has called you is holy, be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it's written, be ye holy, for I am holy. So, and again, so we're talking about our manner of life, which, which you know, when we think of conversation, we think about our speech or having a dialogue with somebody. But this word conversation in the Bible refers to everything about our life. And he says... Pure religion, genuine, it speaks of genuine worship. The word religion is a generic term for any system of belief or faith. It's often used in a, in a negative way, but here we're talking about real truth of worship. Uh, is pure, it's undefiled. In other words, it's free from that. The word undefiled means free from that which by nature of a thing is deformed into base or its force and vigor impaired. You know, sin in our lives deforms us and, unfair, and it deforms us and impairs us. It's kind of well, like what a, a landmine does to a soldier. You know, I had a, you know, not intended to kill you, just handicap you. And he says here that pure religion is to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now, I think we can sum those things up with these two things. Number one, it's charity. 
or love. That's visiting the fatherless and the widows. Fatherless, of course, would be orphans. Now, you know, problems of widows and orphans in our country are not such as they were in Bible times. That was a real problem then. You remember in the early church, there was a, there was a big problem in the early church and, and about the widows and their ministrations, and, and so they appointed deacons to take care of that situation. You know, the church was quite large, and there were a lot of widows that needed care, and so they appointed the deacons for that purpose to take care of that. You know, orphans in some countries are a real problem and need help. In other words, it's to have compassion and concern, to visit them, to go to see them. You know, we don't, again, we don't have this problem with widows and orphans so much in our country, but you know, there are many who are estranged from the love of God, orphaned from God. They're lost in their sin that need help. But we think about charity, of course, we're not going to spend much time here because, we, because of the last two Sunday morning service, sermons. But, you know, again, uh, 1 John 4, 12 says this. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 12, speaking about love, the, the uh, apostle John says in 1 John 4, 12, No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. You know, and I ask myself the question, why or what does no man seeing God have to do with loving one another? You notice it says there in verse 12, No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. What does not seeing God have to do with that? The point is, we don't see God. But we see our love for God when we love one another. Look at verse 20. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God, whom he hath not seen? You see, when we show real concern and compassion and care for those about us, we demonstrate the love of God to the world. James talked about this in James chapter 2 and verse 8. He said, If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You do well. So to visit the father and the widows is charity or love, which shows a changed conversation. But a second theory here he talks about is an act of seeking of holy living. He says, and to keep himself, verse 27, to keep himself unspotted from the world. To be unspotted means to be free from vice, unsolid. The the word undefiled in verse uh, 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 27, again, refers to free from that which by nature of a thing is deformed to base. And and again, sin impairs us, it, it deforms us, uh, it's, it's, I mentioned like, it's like a landmine to a soldier. Uh, a, a Marine major who was in Vietnam told me that the Viet Cong would set landmines for the purpose not to kill you. Just maybe to blow off a toe or break your ankle or, you know, blow up half your foot. They, they had no intention of killing you. Because if they wounded you, if they wounded you, 
then the rest of your unit is cumbered with taking care of you. And that makes the whole unit vulnerable to attack. You know, Satan wants to maim you. That's what he wants to do. He wants to ruin your life. That's what sin does to us. Just like a landmine. It deforms us. It impairs us. But if we are going to seek after God, we will be actively seeking to live blameless, holy and blameless, unspotted by the world, undefiled, free from vice. In 2 Peter 3.14, Peter says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, looking for the second coming of Christ, be diligent that you may be found in him, found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. In 1 Peter chapter 15, and I'm sorry, there is no 15 chapters in Peter, but in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, it says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as you know, you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You see, we weren't redeemed with corruptible things, and, and our new life should be not be marked by corruptible things. It should be marked by a holy conversation, a Christ-like conversation. You see, again, this is what it means to continue therein. Salvation is not just a one-time decision and that ends it. Now follow what I'm saying here and don't misunderstand me. Salvation is just the beginning of a new life in Christ. Just like Come May or come, when is it, July or August, that birth is going to be the beginning of a new life. You see, salvation is a birth. It's called the being born again. It's called the new birth. It's just the beginning of a new life that we are to continue therein. It's the beginning of a new life, a new creature, a new nature, a divine nature, Peter says in 2 Peter 1.4. And as we grow in our salvation, we are saved or delivered every day from sin and its consequences or its penalty. You know that the wages of sin is death? That was written to Christian people. If you would continue as a Christian in sin, it's going to shorten your life. Because sin destroys. You see, we are to grow in our salvation. We are delivered daily from sin that defiles us. Again, look at Ephesians chapter 2. 
Ephesians chapter 2, I want to look at a couple passages of Scripture here. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. You know, we like to hear about verses 8 and 9, but we forget about verse 10. Verse 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And we like that, and that's great, and we should like that. But, the word, very next word is for. Now, I'm not an English major, but I understand that that's a conjunction that connects the two verses, or the three verses, together. So, because of this, salvation, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, he has ordained before the foundation of the world, that when we get saved, we ought to walk in good works. That is something that God predetermined, that his children would walk in good works. In other words, they would continue therein. Because we are his workmanship. And, and again, he is the workman. He is the gardener, if you will, or the farmer. And we are the field or we are the garden. And just like if you have a garden, you go out and work in your garden. You pull out weeds. You fertilize and, and, and you, you cultivate and, and try to make everything grow like it should and, and, and enhance growth. Do what you can to enhance growth. You know, but that's, that's what God's doing, trying to do in your life and mine through his word through the preaching of his word, through his church. That's the purpose of pastors and teachers is to perfect the saints for the work of the ministry. See, you're his workmanship. God wants to continue to work in your life. But you know what? That takes faith every day i got to believe him today. And you know what? I have to believe him tomorrow too. Today's faith will not suffice for tomorrow. Because tomorrow, I'm going to get another set of tests and trials. Another set of circumstances that may be different from today. That I have to learn to trust God in. And be victorious. You know, I have, may have some thoughts that come into my life tomorrow that I didn't have today. That I've got to deal with tomorrow. And again, that takes faith and trust in the Lord tomorrow. It's a continual thing. Philippians chapter 2. We, and we see this principle throughout the Bible. Philippians chapter 2. Verses 12 through 16, Philippians 2.12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not now is in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And then notice this. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. That's the challenge we face. Because, you know, when we, when we face trials and tests, you know what our tendency is? To complain. To murmur. To argue with God. This isn't fair. 
You know, Job could have complained bitterly. He could have said, this isn't fair. Joseph, I mean, from our perspective, he had reason to say, this isn't fair. This isn't right. It wasn't right. But you know what? He just continued to do what was right and to serve God. It didn't matter where he was. That's maturity. That's something we need to strive after. You see, it's, it, it, it boils down to we have to trust God in the trials. Trust God that he's working in us to bring about his will and as it says in verse 13, to do His good pleasure. But you know, the problem is, you and I can't see the end from the beginning. But our God can. And again, that's where faith comes in. The children of Israel couldn't see how God would just bring down the walls of Jericho. And because they couldn't see that, they said, we cannot go in and possess it. And 40 years later, Joshua comes up to Jericho and he's standing looking at it and the Lord says, you just march around it. Once a day for six days and the seventh day seven times and you just shout and blow the trumpets and I'll take care of the walls. You see, Joshua and that generation believed that God could somehow do it. They didn't know how, but they believed he could. And when the time came for them to do it, he told them how. You know what our problem is? We don't see how things can work out for his glory, and we try to get ahead of ourselves and get ahead of God and decide this is, this is, what, this is how we've got to do it instead of waiting till the time comes and God giving us the answer when we need it. That's why it says, do all things without murmuring. And disputing. Verse 15 That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. You see, God desires to work in us. And we need to be actively seeking His will being brought to pass in our life. And I will conclude this passage by saying this. If all a person cares about is information about how not to go to hell, I would say the religion's vain. It's like I can get a quick fix or a pass-jail-go-free card in Monopoly type thing. It's just like trying to work a deal with God. You know, the Bible talks about those who have a form of godliness, but, now, but not denying the power of in 2 Timothy 3, 5. And then in verse thir- or 14 of 2 Timothy 3, Paul says, But thou continue in the things that thou hast heard and hast been taught. 
See, a doer of the word is one who hears it, investigates it, and continues therein. He continues therein. The question is, are we continuing? Are we allowing God to continue to work in our lives? Or have we turned away? Or are we stunting? Or are we stifling? Or impairing our walk with the Lord by sin in our life? Or are we deceived? You know, verse 26 again says, If a man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. So how is it with you tonight? Don't be deceived, but be transformed. Allow God to transform your life for your good and His glory. Let's pray.